Michael Patrick MacDonald is an American activist who lives part of the year in both the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. He's the author of a number of books, including the American Book Award-winning best-selling memoir, All Souls, a family story from Southie, and also Easter Rising, a memoir of roots and rebellion. And he's been serving as a special correspondent on this show, covering events in Ireland. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to our show now. Hi, Michael. Hey, how are you? It's good to be here. Uh, the, the big story out of Ireland has been President Biden's visit to the Republic of Ireland. But let's take a look at some of the other stories about that island recently, both related and unrelated to his visit. He left Joseph Kennedy III behind when he went on to the Republic of Ireland to explore his ancestral roots. Isn't Kennedy, who's a 42-year-old former Democratic congressman from Massachusetts, taking up the post of special envoy to Northern Ireland for economic affairs? Yes. Um, the special envoy position was set up as part of the Good Friday Agreement back in the late 90s, in 1998, uh, to you know, which brought uh, a ceasefire and peace to the north of Ireland. And it's become a economic envoy, envoy uh, position. I think that probably has a lot to do with some of the other stuff we'll talk about in terms of um, Brexit and and the kind of um, the economic changes that happened as a result of that. Well, I was curious about the fact that he also, uh, Kennedy, was a CNN mm -hmm. commentator. Doesn't sound to me like uh, preparation for the job that he's gotten. Well, more it's more that as I think, uh, um, you know, an elected official, he he was very much uh, involved in these types of conversations. Mm -hmm. and so so I think it comes more of that. He he was recently running um, for uh, Congress and he didn't he didn't get into that position, but. Um, he's very connected to the uh, business community in Massachusetts, especially Boston. So I think uh, I think what they're you, you know what they're doing there is uh, you know obviously the Kennedy name and its attachment to Ireland, and, uh, but also the fact that Brexit has caused some changes in economics. Some of them. Um, increasing opportunities for the island of Ireland and the prospect of a united Ireland down the road. Um, I think they've kind of amped out, amped up some of the maybe ambassadorial um, aspects of that position. But hasn't Northern Ireland's politics been paralyzed by deeply rooted sectarian divides? Didn't its power sharing government collapse in, in a dispute over post Brexit trade rules? Right. So the power and the power sharing government uh, of uh, of the North of Ireland is uh, in the assembly that was created uh, during, as part of the Good Friday Agreement also um, to ensure that there would be uh, representation from the various factions over the years. And uh, that is currently paralyzed because the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party, does not want to share power with um, Sinn Féin. So just to go back a little bit, Sinn Féin would be the um, you know the the Irish uh, nationalist Republican 
Party that was affiliated with the Irish Republican Army for years. It's now the most um, popular of all parties in the six counties that are called Northern Ireland. And it's also gained a lot of, um, it's actually the most popular party in the, the free state, as we call it, or the 26 counties of, of the Republic of Ireland. Um, the Democratic Unionist Party long held on to political power, but also, um, you know, in, in, since Northern Ireland was created, I mean, we have to remember Northern Ireland's a, a colonial construct. It was, it was uh, carved out of the island of Ireland in the aftermath of the Easter Rising of the early 20th century, followed by the War for Independence. Um, it was part of the negotiation in the early 20th century, which uh, gerrymandered out six counties that would remain part of the United Kingdom. So Ireland was a colony of Britain, and what was remaining for them on the island of Ireland to keep was the six counties that were carved out. Now, they were carved out in a really gerrymandered way, meaning that they left out the parts of geographic Northern Ireland. Uh, they left out counties that would have um, had a Catholic majority, a Catholic being Irish, culturally Irish, identified, descendant, identifying with the, you know, being descendants of the colonized. Um, peasantry of Ireland, and they left out those counties so that they could maintain a Protestant, Unionist, Loyalist, i.e. loyal to the crown, hegemonic um, majority. And in the six counties of Northern Ireland, you'd have a, um, a second-class citizenry of Catholic Irish. Um, they carved that out, they gerrymandered it, and um, for throughout the 20th century, and part of the early early 21st century, the Protestant Unionist Loyalist ascendancy um, maintained power. They kind of ran a one-party state, and the way they operated was to, I mean, what we have, what we would have, the way we could identify with this is is to look at Jim Crow. It was basically a Jim Crow society. Um, Irish identified Catholic people were second class citizens within that statelet. It was it's often referred to as the orange state, orange being Protestant Unionist loyalist ascendancy. The civil rights movement in the in the sixties um, was calling for uh, equity and uh, fairness and jobs and housing and education, um, particularly for um, the the Catholic Irish identified population who were just not given jobs and who were uh, given substandard, if any, housing and so forth. So that civil rights movement in the north of Ireland, which was modeled on uh, the black civil rights movement here, um, and some some of your listeners will know of names like Bernadette Devlin and Eamon McCann, who were very involved in that civil rights movement for equality and, and uh, justice, social justice within the statelet of Northern Ireland. These are people that might might be in favor of a united Ireland, but they were saying during the civil rights movement that, okay, if we are part of the United Kingdom, why are we not equal um, citizens? And, and of course, there's no such thing as citizens in a, in a monarchy, but um, they, they were arguing for civil rights. The civil rights movement led to what's called Bloody Sunday, where on January 30th, 1972, 14 um, unarmed uh, nonviolent protesters 
organizing for civil rights was shot down in cold blood. That changed everything, and that really amped out, amped up the other, um, the other movement, which was the um, militant Republican movement for complete separation uh, from Britain, and that was led by the Irish Republican Army, the Provisional Irish Republican Army. Now. Then in the late 20th century, 1998, there was, uh, after 30 years of what we call the Troubles, basically it was a war um, in which- And, you and know, Belfast was battered by uh, bombs and gunfire during- Yeah, every, you know, every day people were, were being killed in that, and the streets were occupied by the British Army, and their guns were aimed at Catholic Irish citizenry. The police force in that- a uh, gerrymandered state that was created to maintain Protestant, Unionist, Loyalist, British-identified hegemony, the police force was also overwhelmingly of the Protestant British identity. And so Irish Catholics were, you know, routinely beaten and slaughtered in the streets. And um, so the war was terrible. And the peace agreement, the Good Friday Agreement of 1998, was um, an amazing breakthrough. Uh, it at least brought about a kind of a ceasefire that still holds to this day. 25 which has years. Given space, yeah, which has given space for, and the IRA put down their guns, and they really you know, led the, that process in a lot of ways. So um, that has led to the past 25 years of the kind of space to... Uh, work on developing a united Ireland for people who are of the nationalist Republican um, background. They see this at uh, the past 25 years as, you know, building political power and working toward achieving one of the most important parts of the Good Friday Agreement, which is that um, Britain finally agreed that if, he, if a majority of people in uh, the north of Ireland vote to be become part of a united Ireland, uh, it shall be. So that was one of the real breakthroughs with the Good Friday Agreement. So since then, the Sinn Féin party has worked north and south of the border. Actually, the vote would take place in both both uh, jurisdictions in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, but they've worked to build political power in both jurisdictions, and they are now the biggest party in each of those jurisdictions. The DUP, which would be the people who historically had hegemony, had, you know, ran the place, basically had uh, political power, but also economic power. Um, you know, generally, when you would go around Northern Ireland throughout the late 20th century, if you saw big fancy houses, those are probably Protestant Protest. British identified people living in there. Um, Irish identified Catholics would be predominantly in housing estates, which we call housing projects here. Um, they worked for political power and this, the, the Sinn Féin, and they, it's been pretty successful. And the conversation around a united Ireland is, has grown. And younger Protestant people from the Protestant British Unionist Loyalist background, younger people from that population have also kind of opened up in ways that their parents and grandparents never were. Uh, their parents and grandparents parents would be very staunch, evangelical, hardline, fire and brimstone um, Christians, and therefore very conservative socially as well. Whereas, ironically to a lot of people here, this is odd to a lot of people, but Catholics generally in the north of Ireland uh, would tend to be uh, socially progressive people, as well as economically um, progressive people. So. 
where the DUP finds themselves is, you know, as a dying breed and um, their, their, their uh, political stronghold is over. Uh, they would now be, if they went back into the assembly of Northern Ireland, the power sharing assembly, which was created by the Good Friday Agreement, if they went back into that assembly, they would be um, second to Sinn Féin. They would be the second biggest political party. Sinn Féin would be the um, would hold the executive seat, and uh, they would hold the deputy a seat uh, in that assembly. They don't want to do that, so they're using they're using the current um, you know what they would call crisis around Brexit uh, as an excuse. And and they voted for Brexit. They were for Brexit. They would be very much you know in alliance with the Tory party in, in uh, mainland Britain, in London. And they, uh, they Northern Ireland uh, vote, did not vote to leave the European Union. They did not vote for Brexit. Hmm. Um, mainly England and Wales did. Scotland and Northern Ireland did not vote to leave uh, the European Union, but they're being dragged out nonetheless. Um, and the now minority, uh, an increasingly minority political party, the Democratic Unionist Party. They see their future, the writings on the wall, and um, they don't want to participate at all. So they're just taking their toys and going home. Every time the EU and the United Kingdom come up with a new uh, solution to placate them, it's not good enough. So there was the Northern Ireland Protocol. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, but... Well, we'll get um, to everything. We have some time. I I am curious about... um, some things that the, that the Republic of Ireland has done, even though this mm-hmm. has often been seen as a difference as a, a Catholic versus Protestant problem, mm. uh, the Republic of Ireland has done things like legalize abortion, at least uh, right. uh, in the short term. So, are they making concessions, or is the world getting more <laughs> more complicated than it was in uh, twenty five years ago when the Good Friday Agreement was struck? Yeah, well, so in in, in the north of Ireland, in the six counties, there the um, you know the people that we just for shorthand refer to as the Catholics um, would be. You know the the class of people who are descendant for, descended uh, from the um, native Irish, uh, culturally Irish, ethnically Irish population that was colonized by Britain. Now, keep in mind, Ireland. I think the best way to look at this uh, to understand the colonization of Ireland is that Ireland was a laboratory for British uh, colonization. Mm. Basically, everything they ended up doing around the world. Um, in Africa, India, and so forth, you know, all the practice, the rehearsal stage was Ireland. And even, you know, a lot of the same generals that were operating in Ireland were then sent on to uh, do the same here uh, to the indigenous community here. Um, and so we, we say Catholics for shorthand and the, the, the fight has never been over uh, religion. And we, we refer, we, we call the British identified descendants of, and proudly descendant of the ascendancy, the colonizer class, as well as the settlers. Um, they, for shorthand, are called Protestants, but it's never been a religious war. However, sometimes that will be used in ex, as an excuse. Now, after the, the, the war for independence and after the 26 counties of, you know, what is now called the Republic of Ireland, 
um, after they got independence, they they sadly had killed all of the real revolutionaries um, who organized the, the 1916 uprising. And the, the people that survived would be um, people who fought for Irish independence, but who would tend to be more um, Catholic. That would be Eamon de Valera. Um, so it became a Catholic state, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, after centuries of having um, the Anglican Protestant church imposed on them as a a state religion, as a state church, they reverse it by, you know, basically declaring the Catholic church, um, the state church. So it becomes a a kind of theocracy and um, and the Catholic church did dominate uh, the Republic of Ireland for most of the 20th century with really, really. Um, you know, draconian rules against any kind of idea of social progress for women, especially. Um, so what's happened recently in the south of Ireland and the Republic? Um, so these are two arenas and two very different kind of evolutions of people's relationships with their um, cultural ide- cultural identification, as well as different relationships with their religious background. Um after years of a theocracy being run by the church in the nine, from about the nineties on it, it kind of parallel to uh, what was happening here with the abuses in the church being revealed, uh, Ireland kind of threw the church out basically in the Republic of Ireland. Um, and it has been an increasingly secular society. And once the church no longer had control, people kind of came out of hiding about how they really feel about uh, various social issues. So that was it was proven in in votes that were taken around issues like marriage equality and abortion. And huge majorities came out uh, in favor of marriage equality just a few years ago. And it became the first country in the world to vote for marriage equality. You know, the, the rest of us have to do this through battles with the Supreme Court. And it was a huge majority that got that. But then also, you know, when when the Catholic Church had had uh, taken over the Republic of Ireland, they also enshrined that abortion was illegal. And um, there was a vote uh, to get that out of the Constitution, the Irish Constitution. And it was a even bigger majority. It was like close to 70%. Um, so once the church was gone, the Republic of Ireland kind of, you know, showed what Irish, you know, the, the, the almost like indigenous religion of Irish hospitality uh, was really about and, and just generosity. So it's, it's a really progressive country. The North, which is now, you know, has, has been, uh, in a chokehold by the Democratic Unionist Party, who are very evangelical Christians, um, you know, who have, who have banned abortion, <laughs> even though it was these are people who want to be part of the United Kingdom. Abortion was legal in the United Kingdom, but they insisted through their power of devolution to ban abortion in Northern Ireland. Um, Catholics in Northern Ireland throughout the entire 20th century and into now would tend to be more progressive, a lot of people would kind of identify as cultural Catholics. And um, if people are practicing Catholics, 
people I come across uh, more often will tend to be, if they're practicing Catholics, they would tend to be liberation theology type Catholics. And um, because they were second class citizens and they, because they've been engaged in a struggle, sometimes armed and sometimes through civil rights movements, and that would lend itself to more progressive thinking, uh, not only economically, but socially. So they tend to be, you know, left of our liberals uh, for the most part up there. Now, now that there's, uh, you know, the population has kind of become 50-50 and now Catholics actually outnumber Protestants in the North. Um, you know, that population has always overwhelmingly been in favor of a, a united Ireland. But now they're even getting some younger Protestant uh, people who would be more progressive minded, who would not be thinking like their parents and grandparents, who would look to the south just over the border and see that their peers were having rights that um, that they are denied. So so as a result of that, recently, some some changes had to be made in terms of, you know, the, the DUP was holding on to the you know devolution meant that we can ban abortion, we can uh uh, ban same-sex marriage and so forth. Um, but that was fortunately struck down by London. <laughs> um, so it's, it's all really complicated in terms of the various relationships, but sometimes people will, you know, build allyship with, uh, for, for example, progressive people in Northern Ireland who don't like being part of the United Kingdom were in favor of London stepping in and saying no. Oh, you cannot ban abortion, uh, DUP. So now where we are is 25 years after the Good Friday Agreement. Um, it's still an, uh, an ongoing peace process. Uh, the assembly is up. The power sharing assembly is up and then it's down and then it's up and then it's down over the years. And, you know, what people have to keep in mind, oftentimes people will say, you know, these political parties, they just need to work it out and go back into the power sharing assembly and so forth. Um, Sinn Féin and others basically are not... Uh, bringing down the Stormont Power Sharing Assembly, they're ready to go back to work any day. It's the DUP. It's um, a, a, you know being held that this the six counties and the island of Ireland is being held back by this tiny majority, really conservative party, um, and Northern Ireland is being held back in terms of it just you know everyday legislation that needs to be made. But the island of Ireland is being held back as well because there's a conversation happening island wide about the benefits of a united Ireland and completely cutting off from the you know colonial motherland of Britain. My guest on today is Leonard Lopate at large at WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org is Michael Patrick McDonald, who is a regular car, uh, correspondent on the show covering events in both uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Well, Kennedy was received very warmly. Is it hoped mm -hmm. that he'll be able to get some of these issues resolved the the um uh, because the the power sharing government in Northern Ireland collapsed in a dispute over post brexit trade rules is his uh is his mission to drum up american investment in the north or to to play a larger role i think that well that's part of it but i think that um that, so in response to brexit um, so let's go back to the, the United Kingdom as a whole, which 
includes, whether people like it or not, includes the six counties that are called Northern Ireland, voted to leave the European Union. Um, Northern Ireland's vote was to remain in Europe. And uh, majority that meant that they probably got most Catholics, but also some Protestants, including Protestant farmers for whom uh, being part of the EU has been beneficial. And everyone else who just thinks, you know, the, the roads that the EU has built. And so, you know, the infrastructure of Northern Ireland is incredible as a result of being uh, as, a, as a result of the EU and a lot of peace funding and so forth, because a lot of money was pumped into the place um, to promote the peace. Um, so the, a lot of people uh, there would well i guess the the protestant unionist loyalist british identified population would not look kindly on the appointment of a kennedy just the symbolic name of it all you know it's it's for them for the dup uh he's one of them one of them and you know like one of this kind of inferior race of irish people who want to take everything from us that's how they would see it um and Kennedy's kind of symbolized that in in this country that their you know the, their Irishness is, was a huge part of their identity. Him being the uh, first Irish Catholic president, um, Joe Biden being the second, and so he symbolically it would be um, detested by by the DUP. And um, so I don't know how much they're going to go along with that, but you know I I like that the United States. Uh, you know, the Democrats in particular just don't care. They've stood up to Britain's threats to violate the Good Friday Agreement. Basically, when Brexit happened, um, this threatened to bring back the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, a border with soldiers and checks and people being taken out of their cars. Um, these are these are armed checkpoints that existed up until the Good Friday Agreement. And then they got the soft and people could just cross from one to the other without. Yeah. So the eliminate the, the Good Friday Agreement eliminated the border slowly. It demilitarized the border so so that today. You don't even know when you cross from the Republic of Ireland into Northern Ireland or vice versa. You wouldn't know other than you might get a buzz on your phone saying that you have a new carrier. Um, You've entered into a new uh, economic zone and and you have a new carrier that's going to be you're roaming. Basically, that's the only that's the only uh, way you'll know. And um, so Brexit threatened to bring back that militarized border. If it brought back a British militarized border, of course, that means that there would be a resistance to a British militarized border. There would be, whether it's the provisional IRA or some other group that um, resists British rule on the island of Ireland, you know, as they've been doing for centuries and centuries and centuries, that doesn't go away. So the war would come back. Um, But People of the Protestant Unionist loyalists, particularly the more kind of staunch loyalists they are, uh, and the more DUP they are, Democratic Unionist Party, the more they would be in favor of such a border. They really don't want to be part of Ireland. They want to be part of the UK. And they see the elimination of, of the border as a threat to their identity, a threat to their historic ascendancy. So they were in favor of a border coming back and the European Union stepped in and said, you're not going to bring back any kind of border. You voted to leave um, the European Union and you cannot by doing by leaving, you cannot threaten uh, 
the Good Friday Agreement, a successful peace agreement that brought brought peace to the island of Ireland. Um, Along those lines, Kennedy said in an interview, quoting, the observation was made to me, focusing on prosperity is the wise thing to do so you don't get sucked into politics. And, and then he joked, <laughs> that'll last one conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's... Um, that's very, you know, diplomatic of him. Um, but you know, they're they're already on the fence, the DUP with the with Congress people. See, Richie Neal has been a longtime supporter of um, of the Irish Catholic community for their rights, for civil rights, but also, you know, he would be a supporter of United Ireland. Um, he's not, you know, pushing that, but he's he's he did push for peace. Um, and he's pushing for maintaining the peace, but he's gotten people on board who don't have, he's of Irish ancestry. <clears throat> he's gotten people on board who, who are not of Irish ancestry. So people like Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi has made, you know, when she was speaker, she was going over there and saying to Britain, you will not mess with the good Friday agreements. So that was kind of amazing, uh, to see this, to see this kind of force come from, from Congress to, you know, tell Britain this will affect your trade relations with us if you mess with the Good Friday Agreement, if you mess with this, if you try to bring back the border in any way, um, you are not going to threaten this peace. And it's just interesting that, okay, so then they put Kennedy in. Obviously, there's a symbolism of what he means, um, and that would be well, they Irish. Put, they put a, an Irish Catholic into the right. North. Right, and a, a redhead on top of it. <laughs> Don't get more Irish Catholic than that. And, um, and you know, putting him in with all, with all that that means symbolically, it was an extra kind of, like, just back off, I think. Um, and, you know, the DUP is just becoming insignificant. They're becoming less and less significant. And... As a result, they're just like, you know, you know, like the witch and the Wizard of Oz are melting. It's they're just constantly having those kinds of meltdowns and screaming. And um, and that happened uh, just the past couple of weeks with the with Biden's visit to to Ireland, north and south. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at large on WBAI New York, ninety nine point five FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Michael Patrick McDonald, who uh, has written a number of books and has been a, uh, serving as a special correspondent on uh, the situation in both Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland on this show. Uh, and this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Uh, the, the U.S. is the largest foreign investor in Northern Ireland, with Allstate, Seagate, and other companies investing mm. £1.5 which is $1.86 billion over the last decade. But that's just a fraction of the American presence in the Republic of Ireland, where mm -hmm. low taxes and stable politics yeah. have attracted more than $350 billion. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think— the, the, you know the interest in in 
a United Ireland, or it, the interest in Northern Ireland goes toward the interest in the United Ireland because I think they know that there's a lot of potential there. Now, a lot of the, like I said, Nancy Pelosi, Biden, so forth, Biden going over there and uh, really connecting with the place and connecting in particular in the North with the uh, Irish identified Catholic nationalist Republican community in a lot of ways. I mean, he's taking selfies with Jerry Adams, who is, you know, um, the head of Sinn Féin, which was a political wing of the IRA. And that was kind of antagonizing, of course, to a whole lot of DUP people and to a whole lot of British people on the uh, in London. But, um, you know, as much as fun as that was, I mean, that it was fun to see all that kind of melting down happening. And well, he also was there with his sister, Valerie, and his son, Hunter, for three days. Most. Yeah. And the Republic of Ireland. And and they, you know, they have their kind of heartstrings attachment to the old sod and, you know, his great, great grandparents came from there and so forth. So it's a very distant connection, but one that his mother really instilled in him. Uh, and he's very connected to his mother in a lot of ways. So he was he was really it was like a he really, you know, he, a lot. He, he made speeches that he referenced her, you know. He looks up. He looked up in the sky and said, "Mom, you said it would happen." Meaning, you know, he would someday return to Ireland as president. Um, so there's a lot of heartstring stuff going on there. For a lot of us, it was fun to see the DUP meltdowns and the British, actually British Tory meltdowns in in Britain. The papers were just outrageous in terms of the response and just um, you know doing kind of leprechauny caricatures of him that were just really offensive. Um, and the other thing is that while all that was kind of fun and good, really good to see his support for, um, for justice in Northern Ireland, but also for United Ireland, as good as it is to see all that and see Nancy Pelosi's interest and so forth, I also have to keep in mind that they have other motives as well. Um, so he has a heartstring motives. He would be for United Ireland, I'm sure. Um, and uh, we have to keep in mind that they also have strategic military interest in this island um, on the west coast of Europe. So, uh, but also that they have economic, you know, military and economic, which of course go hand in hand. So, a uh, united Ireland, of course, they would see as even more beneficial to America having a strong presence in this place. Now, Ireland, keep in mind, has, has maintained neutrality. Um, and they still maintain neutrality. There are there are hawks over here that are working on changing that. Um, meanwhile, Britain has been stepping up uh, its presence in North, its military presence in Northern Ireland in some secret ways, non visible ways. Not like when they had British troops on the streets, but like MI five, you know, has has built uh, you know a stronghold in a town called uh, Hollywood. Um, I don't think they, you know, especially Tories and, you know, the, the, the militarists and so forth of Britain, do. I don't think they have any intention of leaving the place. Um, of course, they will have to if there's a vote. Um, at the same time, um, you have uh, all this stuff happening with Russia and Ukraine and, and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, antagonisms with China. So people are kind of like staking their claim in this pretty strategic Place. But hasn't uh, a, a new Brexit deal for Northern Ireland, known as the Windsor Framework, been adopted mm. by the UK and the EU? Um, how how do, does that mean that Northern Ireland is treated differently than the rest of the UK? 
when it comes to the EU? So uh, only slightly, really. What happened in the aftermath of Brexit was that, you know, uh, people put down their foot, said, you're not bringing back a border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Um, the U.S. got involved, you know, our Congress people got involved. And uh, so a border was not coming back. Uh, the, the, the EU and Boris Johnson, when he was in, in the U.K., they negotiated what was called the Northern Ireland Protocol for you know mm-hmm. trade of goods and and services and so forth the back and forth between the two places customs and so forth but that um, led to significant disagreements between the UK yes, and the European it got it put loyalists on fire so that the the Northern Ireland protocol which was negotiated by Boris Johnson with the EU um, basically set it up so that there would be no border between Northern Ireland which is part of the UK and the Republic of Ireland which is part of the EU, um, instead there would be a border in the Irish Sea between Northern Ireland and mainland Britain. Now, to the Protestant Unionist loyalist mindset, that means, and you know, actually they're, they're quite right, that means kind of a united Ireland. You're kind of living in a united Ireland because um, there are, you know, checks happening uh, at the Irish Sea rather than on the island. So they felt part of Ireland and they don't want to feel part of Ireland. But it doesn't, isn't it, it in Ireland's economic best interest for that to be? It's in, yeah, the, the entire island of Ireland, it would be in their best interest, including for, you know, Protestants in Northern Ireland. It would be, it would be in the economic interest of everyone on the island of Ireland to maintain that kind of a, a situation. So, uh, they were up in arms because they saw it as a slippery slope, one step toward a United Ireland, actually a big step toward a United Ireland. Uh, the border is now in the Irish Sea. How did this happen? Boris Johnson threw us under the bus for all our loyalty and our allegiance to the Crown and, and to the Tory party. They threw us under the bus. So they were protesting on a daily basis, um, uh, just raising hell, threatening to, you know, that with, with kind of um, dog whistles about possibly bringing back their loyalist paramilitaries and so forth. Um, so a more recent negotiation was had between the EU and the UK, and that's called the Windsor Framework. Mm-hmm. And that would set it up so that uh, between mainland Britain and Northern Ireland, there would be two lanes for goods being checked. Uh, one is a green lane, go. One is a red lane, slow down, stop. Um the green lane would be for any goods that are going from mainland Britain, which will stay in Northern Ireland. Um, so this isn't really a huge concession. The red, the red lane would be for goods that could then go on to the Republic of Ireland, which is part of the EU. Those, you know, there, there are strict the European Union has strict checks on. What about on the, the other direction? Outside. What's that? What about traveling in the opposite direction from the, the Republic to the North? Uh, Republic to the north, there's nothing really they could do. They couldn't set up a, a border with, with checks. And the cons- the bigger concern was, well, so the EU is is really strict about goods that are coming into the EU. So anything coming from Northern Ireland into the Republic of Ireland is coming from the UK into the EU. So they were mm-hmm. more concerned about that. And, and so they set up this system where there's a green lane and a red lane. Um, that's still not good enough for, for unionists. Um, 
and uh, basically they nothing will be good enough and they won't go back into the power sharing assembly. Um, so so every day things like I know people in Belfast who, especially working in the public uh, sector or in like nonprofits, NGOs, people who are doing crucial work with addiction and mental health issues and so forth, they their their funding is constantly being threatened because there is no government in Northern Ireland, basically. Hmm. Um, so things just aren't moving um, at all. There was a, there's, there's been a movement in, uh, by, by the friends of mine, the family of a, a boy named Dahi, who was, um, who was born with basically half a heart and he, they, his family has worked to change the rules. And this has nothing to do with, you know, the, the war or the colonization, but he, he, they were working on a campaign to change the rules for, um, donors, organ donors, um, so that people could opt out, but it's assumed you're an organ donor. Um, and Dahi is on the waiting list for, for a heart. And, um, they were trying to pass this legislation. They'd gotten everybody, they got all parties on board, but because the government wasn't up and running, uh, this kid who's could possibly receive a heart, um, uh, was being prevented from even that possibility. So even stuff that has nothing to do with, you know, the history of Irish and British identity and, and the wars, the trouble, uh, every day kind of business was being held up and people were suffering as a result of that because the DUP is so stubborn. And it's just amazing how we, you know, I, I just look at how often in this country too, how we can just be held ho hostage to pretty insignificant um, you know, it's a, it's a really, it's a dying voice. It's a, it's really a, 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 it's not the majority. It's a, it's a really small minority of Northern Ireland and an even tinier minority of the Island of Ireland. Who's, who's just holding back the whole place. But it has led to, uh, booms for some part of mm -hmm. example. And I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Ross Lowry? Ross Lair. Russ Lair, a port on the yeah, southeastern tip of Ireland, a destination yeah. for freight ships and passenger ferries sailing in from the Irish Sea. Before mm -hmm. the UK left the EU, Russ Lowry uh, was an underused facility with just six sailings a week to the continent. Mm -hmm. uh, and now it has 30 plus to yep. Cherbourg, Le Havre, Bilbao, mm -hmm. Dunkirk, and Zeebrook. That's mm -hmm. a, a five time increase that's led to uh, a record overall freight traffic. Right. And increased jobs. Uh, I think it, it it's brought about 200 or so jobs uh, in that area of Rosslare. Um, so it's a booming port. It was a dead port. And now it's a booming port because it's, it's the, the, the best port for goods to arrive at from France, from the EU. Um, so there's this direct line happening, just bypassing the U UK. I think a big thing, and this is a problem in uh, you know, in the same way that the DUP cannot get over that their hegemony is over, that ascendancy is over, that we live in a new world, we see the same thing happening, um, you know, with the kind of Tory British, and I'm not talking about English people, but there's a Tory British imperial mindset. They can't get over that they're really not that important. Um, 
And I mean, this was the empire. This was the seat of the empire. And I think it's, it's, it's almost like a psychological problem that they're having with moving forward in a very different world. Was it? But as a result, as a result, you know, ports like Rosslare are booming. Um, the Irish economy is booming. Now, Ireland, um, the, the sad part of that is it's become increasingly the two parties that are in power in, um, in the Republic of Ireland, Fine Gael and Fine Fáil, um, they were enemy parties for years, and now they've kind of teamed up in coalition just to prevent Sinn Féin from, um, from you know, from getting in power. Sinn Féin, which would be the minority among all the parties, in, I mean, the majority among all the parties in the Republic of Ireland, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have teamed up to keep them out of power. And those two parties would be the most... Um, I mean, they would be you know, liberal, like our Democrats, and, and also like our Democrats, Democrats, quite um, neoliberal capitalists, and are you know all about privatizing, and um, and uh, they've brought about a place where homelessness is just unbelievable. Um, the housing crisis in the Republic of Ireland is like nothing I ever imagined there because I remember going over there in the 80s, you know, when we we had people on the streets and I thought it was amazing how you would, wouldn't see people that were unhoused um, in Ireland. Totally different scenario now. And that's a result of them kind of copying all of our neoliberal, privatize everything, deregulate everything. Uh, the kind of Thatcher Reagan model is what the Finnegal Finnefall parties uh, work with. Um, so, you know, as it, I can say it's, I'm saying it's booming, but also there are problems with that. It's booming for some, and um, you see, you know, more extremes between wealth and poverty in the South. So, as progressive as the Republic of Ireland has become on social issues, economically, it's gone the way of. Well, our Democrats and, of course, our Republicans are were already there, but that whole neoliberal approach, which leads to a whole lot of people um, left in the dust. Wasn't the British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, one of the people who greeted Joe Biden when he arrived in Northern Ireland? Yeah, and I think he um, enjoyed meeting him. Uh, I don't think he, you know, Rishi Sunak didn't have too many gripes. He has his own fish to fry these days. He's got a lot of problems. His wife's his wife's investments in um, in you know uh, Putin connected companies and so forth. Um, and he's inherited so, Brexit from his yes. predecessors. You know, and he's an incredibly wealthy person, uh, a very conservative Tory, um, and. You know, I'm sure he enjoyed meeting Joe Biden and so forth, but a lot of people in his party were worked up about Joe Biden's um, obvious affinity for Irishness. So Joe Biden went to the island of Ireland. It was really a state visit to the Republic of Ireland. Because he only spent a few hours in the north. Yeah. So he went to the north to support the Good Friday Agreement and to make sure that everyone... Uh, especially the DOP knows that we are um, in support of the Good Friday Agreement and maintaining the peace and and not allowing a border to come back. Um, but he he had said a few things on his trip, particularly in the Republic of Ireland, that got Tories in England as well as DUP conservatives in Northern Ireland really worked up. 
um, just references to Irish history, you know, references, uh, little quips about, you know, um, how awful they were, or, you know, sometimes they were called gaffes, but I think some of it was intentional. Uh, he made a reference to the black and tans. The black and tans were murderous regiments, uh, sent by Britain to Ireland in the early 20th century. Um, in the time of the war of independence, uh, they were people let out of the jails in London to be sent over, um, to basically just shoot to kill Irish people. So the black and tans would be one of the most hated, uh, you know, entities in the history to Irish people, uh, hated by Irish people, they would, they would be like a Gestapo and they burned down homes and, and they used rape and they torture and they were just reckless and not, you know, under no, uh, orders to restrain themselves at all in Ireland. So he made references to the black and tans. Um, and people thought that was a mistaken reference, but I think it was probably on purpose. Um, and then you, say, so thought, you said he took a selfie with the Jerry Adams, with the yeah, the former Irish Republican yeah. Army member Jerry Adams. That must have stuck in the craw of many people in Britain. Yep, big smiles in the selfie and everything. Um, and it, I have to say, it was great to see um, because you know, because I knew the impact it would have. Um, and a lot of it was kind of, you know, I think he does this, you know, you know, a doddering old fella thing. Um, sometimes, uh, unintentionally, but sometimes, um, sometimes I think he knows what he's doing. And, and so there were little nods himself, you think what's that to just ingratiate himself to be a regular he, guy. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying the intention. I think he knows who Jerry Adams is historically. And and he actually um, supports the resistance to British rule in Ireland. Hmm. Um, so that's just him personally. And, and it wouldn't be very, um, you know, most politicians would say, oh, don't do that. Right. But he he's like, F it. I you know, he actually likes Jerry Adams. Um, yeah, but when, when presidents travel abroad, they're traditionally tight, focused affairs. Biden roamed the Irish countryside by motorcade with his yeah. sister and son for three days. It was definitely not the typical official visit by one head of state to another country. Right. It was personal, definitely personal. This was about his mother. I really believe that. But I have to say, too, when he was in um, Northern Ireland, he was more tightly guarded so that he wouldn't say anything that would, you know, anger them anymore, anger the Brits or the DUP anymore. Um, so some people in the North actually complained. Some people from the Catholic Nationalist Republican community in the North were really disappointed that his speech up there was so guarded and so both sidesy in terms of its references to the to the war called the Troubles, um, that it's, you know, it was all kind of like tiptoeing around the fact that this was a, a, a colonial situation and an anti-colonial struggle or that the Catholic Nationalist Republican community were second class citizens. He didn't get into any of that. It was more like a both sides, tit for tat. They were fighting over religion kind of thing. And that disappointed a lot of people. 
in the North who are from the Catholic Nationalist Republican community who know that he knows better. Well, we're in pretty this- much out of time, Michael. Okay. But I was wondering, do you think it will have some impact, or is this just another part of the story of American-Irish relations? The greatest thing about Joe Biden's visit to Ireland uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm not the biggest Biden fan, but I really love this trip. And the greatest thing about it is that it really showed the DUP and Tory Brits for who they are and for how hateful they are toward Irish people and how defensive they are about the loss of their hegemony. That's what I think his visit did. And I think that that's a good thing. Michael, thank you so much for being on our show again. I look forward to your next visit. Let's hope things calm down a bit in Ireland. Thanks. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you'd like to check out uh, more of our one-hour interviews on one subject, you can access our archive of over 800 past shows at WBAI.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. And if you'd like to reach me directly, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. Right now, I need to ask you to consider stepping up and supporting BAI as we struggle to stay afloat during these difficult times. We are asking all of our listeners who haven't taken that step already to make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to help keep this unique in-depth content we bring you on this show coming to weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. That's give and the number 2WBAI.org or 212-209-2950. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy, for 10, 15, 20, 25, however many dollars you feel comfortable giving us a month, uh, as long as you want to do that. And uh, that allows us to plan for the future. And, and, and we are grateful for it. We're offering uh, a WBAI tote bag to everyone who signs up to become a BAI buddy for $10 a month or more. But either way, I hope you'll call right now because BAI relies 100% on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants, which allows us to be, to be completely free speech radio. And if Leonard Lopate at large is part of your daily routine, why not keep it going for someone who's just discovering it? You can do that again by calling 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to WBAI.org to help support independent radio. And don't forget to make that tax-deductible contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And from all of us at the station, thank you. And we thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again real soon.